Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. I want to speak to you today about a really interesting, powerful component of the character of Jesus. And I would even say this is a a core, critical component about the character of Jesus. Today I want to talk to you about his compassion. Jesus, the compassionate one. And and we're going to go back to a story that we visited on Easter Sunday. We had to skip a a large section of it in order to to preach all of it. It spans a a whole chapter. But uh, the the part that we had to to move past, we're able to go back to. So so if you can remember that story, you can place this, almost like like a flashback, you can place this and complete the story arc of Jesus, Lazarus, uh, Mary and Martha. And on Sunday, we spoke about how Jesus is the resurrection and the life and how he came to resurrect Lazarus out of his tomb. And we're going to jump into the middle of the story right after Jesus arrives. He speaks to Martha, but then he sees Mary. And in John chapter 11, verses, uh, we're going to read 32 through 35, uh, the Bible says this. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Now here's verse 35. And Jesus wept. Two words. It's the shortest verse in the whole Bible. If you say, I don't have any verses memorized, now you do. (laughs) You're leveling up this Sunday. (laughs) What I always found interesting about this verse is it's the shortest verse in the Bible, but it holds a universe within it. Jesus, the creator, the master of all things, the almighty, fully God, shows that he's fully man. And that he feels and he empathizes and he loves. Because you wouldn't weep unless you love Lazarus. And he mourns and he's touched by sadness. You know, and, 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 and this verse is so powerful because you might even say, well, why did he weep? Because he knew there was going to be resurrection. Yeah, but, but we know there's going to be resurrection. And we still weep. And we've still been touched by painful circumstances in life. And Jesus looks around him and he sees the destruction that sin causes and, 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 and what the fall represents. And, and, and he, doesn't, you know, he, he doesn't float over it. Like if you watch Jesus of Nazareth, he just kind of floats by. But that's not how he was. He wasn't disconnected from humanity. He was fully man. And he wept because he was sad, because he loved Lazarus. And and if you even notice, he doesn't weep until he sees Mary weeping. With Martha, he speaks faith to her. But with Mary, he, he mourns with her because Mary was the emotional one. And Jesus says, I can meet you in that place. I can heal you right where you are at. I can, I can, I can get down in, in, into that. And, and it shows the power and the strength of Jesus that he's not even afraid to weep, that, that, that he doesn't view it as something beneath him. 
You know, like during the, the blitz of, of Britain, when there would be bombs that would come down and just level whole blocks in London, uh, Winston Churchill, the prime minister, would go and he would visit. Interesting, you know, just if you want a picture of leadership. Um, Churchill went and visited all of the places that were hit by bombs, but Hitler would literally uh, close the curtains as his limousine drove by. So, so it's just a powerful image of, of what godly leadership looks like and what evil leadership looks like. One, one moves away from suffering, one moves towards it. Jesus always moves towards it. Churchill would stand in the midst of the bombed out region. You know what he would do? They say he would weep. He would cry. And you might think, well, that, that's not what we want. That's not becoming a leader, that, that there he is weeping. But instead of it moving people away from Churchill's heart, they loved him all the more because they said, see, he's just like us. That he mourns for what we mourn. He's affected by what we're affected by. And their hearts were knitted together with their leader. That's what Jesus is doing. He's standing in the midst of tragedy and he feels it and he knows it. And he loves people enough to, to weep with them through the midst of it. Please know you do not serve a God that cannot empathize with your weaknesses. He was tested in all things. He went through all things. He knows all things. And he can love you in the midst of all things. So Jesus weeping is a powerful event. And you know what it shows us? It shows us that he cares deeply. It shows us that one of his primary motivating um, um, functions, one of, one of his core motivations in life is, is compassion. He weeps because he's compassionate. And, and, and if that is one of the core motivating factors of Jesus, if that's found in our Lord, Therefore, it should be central in our life. If compassion is central to our Lord, it's got to be central to our own hearts. He was moved by compassion. And so that's, that's our goal. That's our desire. But the problem is compassion doesn't come naturally. And to some of you, it really doesn't come naturally. I would put myself in that category. I commiserate with you. Compassion is not instinctual. You know, it's sometimes why we view it even as weakness. What, what, what's instinctual is survival. So self, self, concerned with yourself, thinking about yourself, knowing yourself, protecting yourself, self, self. Well, that's instinct. Our instinct for survival is all about self, but compassion focuses on others, puts the emphasis on others, meets the need, goes after people. Well, that, that's, that's not natural to us. And you might say, well, no, it is, because I love my kids, and I, I, would, I, would, I would, you know, lay my life down for my kids. And it's like, yeah, but, but beyond your blood, because... <laughs> Because even dictators, like even Stalin loved his daughter, you know, beyond your blood, because that's still instinct. When you move past the instinct and you move towards others, compassion is, it's, it's beyond human, you know, it is godly. It is a high moral virtue, which means that you're not just going to have it. You have to receive it. I would go even further. You've got to cultivate compassion. If you want this, like Jesus had it, you're going to have to cultivate it, be intentional, grow it, work on it, desire it. I mean, just like, just like a flower, in order for it to bloom, has to be cultivated by a gardener, has to be put in good soil, has to have a lot of rain, has to, um, has to be pruned, has to be in the right season. And we know what season it is, people's allergies. Some of you just came to church to be healed of your allergies today. 
And I'm with you. Let's pray for each other. I'll put oil on you, put oil on me. We'll see if we can make it to next week. Now, you know that, that flowers don't just flourish, that it takes intentional cultivation. So compassion won't flourish unless God plants the seed in your heart. The seeds of compassion have to come from the hand of God. And they have to find good soil. They have to be watered by empathy, by understanding. And they've got to be pruned by experience. The longer you live, the greater chance you have to have compassion. If you allow experience to cultivate it, because you could allow your experience to harden your heart, to harden the soil, to, to make sure nothing grows in that heart. Like Pharaoh, every plague, every trial, every tribulation that came, it didn't make Pharaoh more godly. It hardened his heart against God. It didn't make Pharaoh more pliable to what God wanted. It made Pharaoh double down on what he wanted. So you have to understand that you, you, you need to work on the soil. And it's part of your decision and part of your response to life that will either open your heart up to compassion and therefore become like Christ or close down your heart and get hardened with bitterness and anger and frustration. You've got a part to play in this. And much of it is your response to the difficulties of life. How are you going to respond? I, I pray that you respond with a heart that's open to God so his hands can begin to culti cultivate a God-like heart. Jesus talks about what people's hearts will be like in the last days. He says, because of lawlessness, because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. And this is, this is where we're at. I mean, clearly lawlessness is increasing on the earth. And you can see all around you that people are becoming more, let's say, self-concerned and, and almost even that survivalist instinct is becoming precedent in, in people's uh, in life. And, and, and they're becoming colder to anyone or anything that's outside of their, their family unit. They're becoming cold and harsh and bitter, you know, and, and it's almost like, and I can't remember, <laughs> I can't remember being talked to like this five years ago. What is happening I, 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 don't, I don't remember people even driving like this. <laughs> I, I don't know if you guys are all getting worse or you've just had enough of the potholes, which I understand. I, I have compassion for you there. You, you people are losing their minds on planes at degrees that are through the roof, and that's why we need you to play, pray, pray so that I don't lose my mind on the plane. But, but you say, what's happening? Well, the, Jesus told us the love of many, the love. The compassion, the empathy, the heart, it will grow cold. And if you're not careful, that can become you. Or you can become older and more ornery and more angry. And here's the problem. You can always justify it. You can always justify having a mean mug. You can always justify being angry. You can always justify being bitter. Why? Because life is difficult. It's very tough. And if you're... If, if your justification for being mad or angry or bitter at the world, or let's say, put it this way, having a lack of compassion because life is difficult, know that you're always going to find justification. And you have to choose wisely what your response will be because life can harden your heart, but Jesus, Jesus can cultivate your heart. I pray we become people that cultivate compassion and not coldness in our hearts. Now let the world go that way, but we're not joining them. We're not joining them. We're not going to live that way. And you might say, well, but it's justified. And, I, and, and you maybe say, well, I've gone through difficult things. I have trauma. And it's like everybody has trauma. 
Everybody has some level of trauma. Don't use that to justify a cold heart. You know, or, or, or you say, oh, we went through, we went through a, a national trauma. And it's like, look, this isn't the first time plagues have come. Don't let it ruin your life. Don't let it ruin your heart. Don't let it ruin your mind. Don't let it make you cold. Because that's what the enemy would love to do. He'd love to, he'd love to take your heart out far more than even your life. But Jesus wants to cultivate compassion warmth, empathy, love. And, and this is what he models for us to do. And, and I think the question that we would have is, well, then how do we live compassionately in a world that's gone cold? This is why I say over and over, if you're going to be a Christian, you're going to look increasingly radical because you're going to live increasingly different. And, and, and part of that is compassion. Compassion is a, it's like a diamond. It is rare to find in the world and becoming rare. But, but if you do that, it, it's the picture of a light, a light on, a, on a hill that's not hidden. You know, it's the picture of, of light piercing the darkness that your compassion will make you stand out because you're gonna be like Christ in a world filled with corruption and lawlessness where everyone looks out for self. If you would dare to care for another, it's a shocking event. And I think that's what Jesus models for us. And I think it's what Jesus calls us to be, compassionate. Now, I know right away maybe you just say, like, yeah, that's, a good, that's a good concept, good idea, you know, and like good, like love, compassion. But, um, but it's, it's, it's not the easiest thing to live because it's not, it's not natural. You're going to need a lot of Jesus to pull this off. You're going to need a lot of Jesus in order to put this into work in your life. And... Um, and so I'm praying that this starts that sequence of events, that chain of events, that we would be Christians that see beyond people's circumstance and we see the soul in the world and with each other, just like Jesus did, just like Jesus did, just like the disciples did. They said to the man, silver and gold, I have none, but what I do have, I give to you. I pray we're people that look past the circumstance and, and we bring faith. We bring faith. And that's what Jesus did. He was a man moved by compassion. Moved by compassion. The Bible says when he comes to Lazarus's tomb, when he comes to the, the grieving area, the funeral, the home, he, 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 he sees Mary, the, the emotional sister. Martha was a little bit more stoic, but Mary was emotional. And, and her response is, Jesus, where were you? And Jesus says this, uh, the Bible says this, when Jesus saw her weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and he was greatly troubled. True compassion originates in your spirit. And it originates in your spirit only by his spirit. So I, I hope that you don't leave this sermon today and think like, all right, I gotta be in my mind. I gotta be more compassionate. Do it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying be better. I'm, I'm certainly not saying go home and be nicer. <laughs> Smile more, although that, that is some good, that is a good tip for myself, speaking for myself, boomerang the sermon. No, no, I, I, I'm not saying out of your mind. No, this has to be received in your spirit. Jesus was greatly moved in his spirit and he was greatly troubled. Why? Because this is not how it should be. And so he walks into a situation, why? To change it, to rearrange it, 
He walks into the middle of the situation to be a light in it, to, to be a representative of God on earth in the midst of trial and trouble. And this is what God models for us, that we would also have compassion originate in our spirit, by his spirit, for his people. In, uh, in, in 1946, Mother Teresa was on a train, and she had spent most of her life in Calcutta being a teacher. But she felt in that moment the Holy Spirit speak to her. And uh, she called it her call within her call. Her first calling was to love Jesus and to serve him. But she said she felt the Lord say to her on that train in 1946, Come, be my light, the Lord said. I cannot go alone. So she answered this call. And you know the life of Mother Teresa. She ministered to just like an incalculable number of people. She started orphanages and helped the sick and the dying and held them through their distress and started hospices and clinics. And, and to this day, her, her work reverber, reverberates on. I mean, she is, she is a saint in our time. But what was it? She answered the call to compassion. And that's how the Holy Spirit speaks. I know it's the Holy Spirit because that's how he speaks. Come be my light. I cannot go alone. I'm asking for you to be my representative in the midst of great need. The Bible says when Jesus saw the crowd, when he looked at the people, at the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus looked at his crowds, he didn't, he, he didn't get frustrated with them or, or, or think, they, you know, how are you guys not getting this still? But he loved and he was moved, what, with compassion. Read the New Testament and look for that word compassion. You will see that so many of his healings, so many of his miracles, so many of his parables were intertwined with the motivation of compassion of pity, of help. Over and over, the Bible's trying to let us know this is why he did what he did. And, and when he looked at the crowds, he sees these people, they need help. They're, they're, they're harassed. They're, they're helpless. They're scattered like sheep without a shepherd. I've recently been watching this, this show. It's a great show about farming, this first-time farmer. He, uh, he's learning along the way, and he has this massive field, and he, he decided... Uh, instead of just mowing it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy a bunch of sheep and they will mow the field for me. But he wanted to save money, so he didn't, he didn't also get a shepherd. He didn't hire a shepherd, just a hundred sheep. Well, when they arrived, they did whatever the heck they wanted to do. I don't know if you know this about sheep, but they are very disobedient animals. And they're also very violent animals. You think they're a little fluffy, but you better be careful in there. This thing's got attitudes. The closer you get, the more you realize, whoa. And, and, and so right away, these sheep started scattering. They, they went all over the place. They, they, they wouldn't listen to them. And, and they, you could tell these sheep knew this guy doesn't know what he's doing. And so they went off to do their own thing. And, and, uh, and the problem with sheep is that they truly have a, of a herd mentality. And if there's no leader, everybody becomes the leader. And they follow whatever they see another sheep doing. And so they started breaking down Oh, barriers going into other fields. They're jumping on the wall. Some of the sheep jumped on the wall. And when they saw that, the other sheep jumped on the wall. But then the initial sheep didn't know what to do once they were on the wall. And so they were frozen, stuck. So some jumped into another field. Some ran down the wall. Some went back. And within minutes, 
The sheep were scattered all along the countryside, all on other people's farms and all that. And this guy realized these things need a shepherd. They need a guide. They need a leader. I'm speaking about us. When God looks down from heaven, he goes, get these guys some help. They're, they're all over the place. Because isn't that what we do? I mean, we essentially, if we're not careful, we lead our lives based on what's trending. That's sheep following other sheep. And we're zigzagging. We're all over the place. And we're jumping over barriers. We didn't even know they're barriers. What? I just felt like doing this. And we end up in the wrong field. You end up in somebody else's field. And you're the son, but you're a prodigal. And you're with the pigs, but you're a sheep. Get out of there. And so what does God do? Jesus says, well, I'm going to be the good shepherd. I'm going to be the good shepherd. And, and he comes to lead, to guide. The Bible even says that Jesus even says, and my sheep know my voice. In other words, there's a familiarity. I'll lead them. I'll speak to them. And this is why God gives us the word, the Holy Spirit. This is why he speaks to you, by the way, gently and with compassion. He's not yelling at you. He speaks quietly. But sometimes it's so quietly that if you choose to ignore it, he'll let you. He's not going to raise his voice and speak through gritted teeth. He's, gonna, he's going to encourage you into the right direction, but you have to be open and willing to receive. He's a good shepherd. He's going to chase you down when you go off. He's going to leave the 99, go after the one, because he's a good shepherd. And you know what he does even greater than anything else is he protects the sheep. A good shepherd protects the sheep because you know that sheep have a lot of predators. I looked it up last night. What are predators of sheep. And essentially the list was everything. <laughs> pretty much everything is a natural predator of sheep. And uh, what are sheep predators of? And the answer was like, they're just prey. <laughs> <laughs> In other words, you need protection. You need help. And you need a guide. Because see, there's a problem that wolves want to take advantage. They want to take advantage of the sheep. And they, wolves always look for what they can take from the sheep. But shepherds give themselves to protect the flock. And wolves can be in the church. And wolves can be in your home. And wolves certainly are in the world. And so we need a good shepherd who loves the sheep and is moved by compassion with the sheep to come and to protect the sheep. And do you remember what Jesus said to Peter when he restored him into ministry? He said, Peter, do you love me? He says, I, I do, Lord. He says, then feed my sheep. Do you love me? I do. Then take care of my lambs. What is he doing? He's calling him into a calling of compassion. He's saying, come and, and help lead. Lay your life down. Uh, step in. Help, help, help me minister to that which I love. The call of Christ always includes a call to compassion. You know, like the church world is obsessed with their calling. Let me tell you that at least the primary motivator of any calling has got to be compassion. Because if you're called to your calling for influence or for money or for self or for status or for wealth or for power, for anything else, it's not from God. Every call from God includes within it, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Protect them. Lay your life down. Show them where the boundaries are. Show them how to live and be led by me. 
This is what Jesus is doing when he walks into the middle of the situation with Mary and Martha. He walks into the middle of, of a funeral and, and, and he says, take me to him. Then the Bible says, then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. So he's moved by compassion, but now we see that compassion moves him to action. He goes right into the place of greatest trouble, to the front of the tomb. And you have to understand this today about true compassion. True compassion will always move you to tangible action. Are you hearing me? Compassion without action is not compassion. It's pity, a fleeting, passing emotion. True compassion will always move you right into the midst of real trouble. It'll move you to where there's a real need as a representative of the Almighty. Because I, I, I say this because I believe right now one of the problems we face in society is sympathetic passivity. Where we feel like acknowledging the issue is enough. I agree. It's bad. It's not good. Yeah, don't do it. Like in Willy Wonka, remember? He's like, no, please don't. No, don't go. <laughs> what? I said something. No, no. True compassion is always paired with action. Because modern activism, <laughs> modern activism right now, do you know, do you know what, it, what it boils down to? Raising awareness. It's getting real quiet. Should I move on? Do you understand what I'm saying? You have, now that you've heard that phrase, that's all you're going to ever hear. Raising awareness. But do you know being aware of something does not necessarily mean acting on something? What is awareness without action? We know there's issues. We know there's problems. I, I say this to challenge maybe the, um, maybe the, um, the cop-out that social media has created for Christians where we think posting about something is acting on something. But it's not. It's, that's the simplest thing. A stance is not action. A statement is not compassion. It's, there's got to be more. There's got to be something real. There's got to be tangible. But Jesus didn't just send a message to Mary and Martha. Love you. I'm so sorry. I'm with you. It's bad. God bless. Signed, God no, Jesus walks into the situation and stands before the tomb. He didn't look to get out of it. He didn't look to ignore it. And he didn't look to just pay lip service to it. And, and I think we have to be careful. Please hear me. We have to be careful to not allow our definition of compassion to be created by the world or culture. Because their definition is say in agreement with whatever is trending online. And that's not what it's going to be for you. Because God is watching and he is listening and he is looking for us to engage. True compassion engages in action. Jesus speaks about those that just want to raise awareness without action. He calls them hypocrites. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You're all talk, but when it comes time, your heart isn't right and your actions aren't there. Compassion without action is simply pity. It's a passing emotion, but true compassion moves you right into the middle of difficult circumstances. What am I saying? I'm saying if you have the power to bring change into a circumstance, I believe you bear some responsibility to. 
In fact, I believe God will even walk you into difficult circumstances, not for you to get like a, a woe is me mentality. Like, oh, what the heck? And then now my neighbor won't mow his lawn. And then, and then my aunt called me. And then, and then no, 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 understand God puts you into real situations, not for you to, to, to become a victim, but for you to show, show them what a victorious Christian life looks like through the valley. Something like that. For you to to go right into the midst of it and be consistent because, because true compassion brings change and change takes consistency. It takes a long period of time to change anything, never mind complex problems. And so God wants to move you into an area and say, now you be my representative there. Now, now you show them what it looks like to be me. And, and so what am I saying? I'm saying show up at the wake. I'm saying go to the go to the bedside of the sick person. I'm saying to bring food to those that are going through trial and trouble. If you can, take a client on pro bono and, and help them if they're unable to pay. Mentor a young person. What am I saying? I'm saying start a nonprofit in the area that grieves you or troubles you. And if you, if you can't start a nonprofit, find one and serve in it. And of course, that's why we have We Heart Lives and that's ready made for it. But what I'm saying is God has given you a certain specific thing that your compassion should drive you to help bring change in that area. And, and, and you know, there were many people that died in the time of Jesus, but Jesus knew Lazarus. So those that died, he's going to deal with in heaven. But, but, God, but God walked into the life of the one person he knew and the family he knew. And he goes, okay, now I'm going to deal with this here and now. And I think, I think if you allow God to lead you, he'll lead you into circumstances that you would want to avoid, but compassion will help you engage, help you engage. And, and you don't have to do much. You just have to represent him. But I, I'm preaching to you today for you to make the difference. To not look around and to not wait, but for you to make the difference. Because that's why God has put you on this planet. And maybe you feel like, well, I get it. I understand. I'm with you. That compassion is a good thing. But maybe you feel like, like well, what do I do if I'm struggling to be compassionate? You know, and, and maybe you just feel like I, I've tried or, I, you know, no one showed me what compassion looked like. Maybe you feel like I, I, I'm, uh, I'm empathetic, empty, empty. I'm, em, I've, I'm empty of all my empathy. Or maybe you, you feel like, look, I'm a, I'm a rugged individualist and I just believe deal with it, make it happen, pick yourself up, up <laughs> by your bootstraps. I did, so you better. You know, maybe you, f you feel like you, you kind of have that mentality. And, and you know, I, I would challenge this, um, this notion that, and I think it's a false choice that we get from the world, that, um, that in order for us to have compassion for someone, they had to have done everything correctly, you know? And if they've done everything correctly and still failed, or life still happened, well, then you can have compassion for them because it's not their fault. But, but so many times we feel like, well, we, we either do that, or if they've been incorrect, we disconnect because it's your fault, you made that mistake, you went there, you didn't listen to me, you acted, and so I've, I, I don't have compassion. But, but I'm here to present this truth to you. Did you know that you can have compassion for someone that you disagree with? You can have compassion for someone that made mistakes? Do you know that you can have compassion for someone that didn't listen to your advice? <laughs> you can have compassion for someone that, that you're trying to help even 
if the helping them is very difficult. And I think that, I think that compassion is key to helping people because um, if you don't love them, you can't help them. And the reality is a lot of people won't be helped the way you were helped. They're different than you. And so compassion helps you understand what will help them. And maybe what helps you will help them. But if not, I'm willing to change my approach to help you, you know? And I think sometimes people that we would view as, as enemies or people that we're frustrated with or whatever, when you hear their story and you hear their mistakes, it gives you empathy. They're no longer caricatures. And then you can help them find the right path for them and, and walk with them in that path. And I believe that's kind of what's missing a lot is the time and the, and the investment with people with the desire to help them and hear the Holy Spirit for their path. Because I think a lot of times we just want to say, look, I talked to you, I talked to you once, I sent you a verse, I prayed for you at the altar, you screwed up, snip, snip, get out, move on. You know? And, and then we would even, <laughs> we'd even want to say, like, hey, you know, hey, didn't listen to me, whatever. Pride can get in there. But humility says, look, look, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not here to judge you, God will judge you. And that doesn't mean I don't have opinions, it doesn't mean I won't be honest, but, but, uh, but I'm going to be moved by compassion to help you find the right path. You can act like Christ even with people you disagree with. You can act like Christ even despite your differences. You know, like Jesus, do you know how many people he helped that he didn't agree with? You know, remember the centurion? He helped, he healed his servant. Well, he was a Roman. He was a Gentile. Or the woman at the well, a Sumerian. He even told her he didn't agree with her. She said, you know, where should we worship? Are we right? Or are you right? And Jesus is like, well, you're wrong. But you know what? Let me help you anyways. God's so good that he helps us even when we're wrong. Thank God. Because otherwise we get no help. Right? <laughs> A Canaanite woman comes to Jesus and begs him and begs him. And he keeps putting her off. But she keeps coming and coming. Finally, he's, he says, okay, I'm going to help. Because she consistently comes. All of these people were Gentiles. And most people in this room are Gentiles. And, and to the Jews, we shouldn't be helped because we're others. But Jesus says, I'm here for the others. This is who I came for. And, and so I, I, I believe true compassion doesn't just, true compassion extends beyond our family or beyond people that look or think or act or believe exactly like us. It, it extends to those who Jesus would come to. And, and I think if you're struggling with compassion, remember this one thing. Very quickly, you will need compassion also. Remember that you will need compassion, and you might find compassion for another. Is this helping you? Is this making sense? Because compassion is kind of conceptual. So I, I want to make it practical, but it's a little bit conceptual. But I, I feel deeply like it's missing in the world. And so that's why I'm speaking about it to you. I'm not here to say like, hey man, hey man, just be good, be nice, be kind, smile, and go home. I'm here to say like, Jesus was motivated by this thing. And we, we've got to take a, a good hard look at it because it is not found in the world. The world is cold and dry and harsh, and we do not want to become like that. We don't want our marriages to look like that. We don't want our homes to look like that or our relationships. So we've got to look at Jesus and see what he did. And it's like, wow, look at his interactions with people. Lord, can you help us with that? Compassion always moves 
you to action. And there's three actions that I see very practically, and I'm going I'm to close right now, but three actions that I see, um, uh, three actions of compassion that I see in, in this story. The first is that we see compassion comforts. The Bible says that, that Jesus spoke to Martha when she said, Lord, please don't open the tomb. He's dead. It's over. And if you open it, there's an odor. It's going to stink, which would humiliate them. He said, Lord, please. But Jesus comforts Martha and he says this, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? The first thing we see compassion do is that it comforts. And how does he comfort? He reminds her of the word of God. Did I not tell you? So I think, I think sometimes we feel like we have to bring all the comfort. But let me tell you, the best way to comfort a Christian is to bring the word of God. It's the best way to comfort anyone. It is holy. It is eternal. And it's right there. I mean, think of all the things God did to give you a word to bring to someone else. He's like, I'll send the prophets, they'll write it down, I'll hold it through millennia, I'll have you read it the day before, I'll send it right to your phone, just take that and hand it to somebody. That's all you've gotta do. Remind them of God's goodness, remind them of God's glory, remind them of his promises. When you do that, it will bring comfort to people. The word, the word, it's so simple, but it's so powerful. If you just show up and sp speak the word. I remember when I was a young pastor and I was, I was just starting in the ministry and I was in um, a hospital room and there was a very dire situation going on and, and, and uh, I didn't know what to do. You know, I, I, had, I had no clue what to say. I didn't know how to comfort. I, I felt like I was woefully unprepared for this. But my dad wasn't, um, he wasn't uh, in the state so I, I, sh I showed up and and I must have looked like, you know, like a deer in headlights, you know, when I was in that waiting room. Because one of the older mothers of the church, she saw me and she took me aside and she says, here's what you need to do. You just need to show up here and you just, uh, you just need to say whatever you feel the Holy Spirit tell you to say. It's all you have to do. Just stay here and help wherever you feel there needs to be help. This is more than enough. And it, it just, it like, it just like popped the balloon of pressure. They're like, I don't have to know everything or be everything or do everything right. I just need to be here. And I, I, I just need to say, hey, God's, God's good. Come on, let's pray together. I need, just need to remind them of the word of God and the promises. Let me put it this way. Never underestimate the ministry of presence. Just you being there is everything. Just you showing up to the wake. Just you sending that text. Just making that call. Just showing up at that intervention standing with that person, just you being there is everything. And you don't have to do it all the time. Maybe just once or twice in someone's life will make a core difference and they'll never, ever forget it. Don't ever underestimate the ministry of your presence. Compassion comforts. But do you know that compassion also challenges? Three actions of compassion. It comforts, but it also challenges. Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. That's a challenge to the spirit of death. And Jesus had the authority to challenge death. Now, you might not have that authority, but whatever authority you do have, use. Comfort, uh, sorry, let me put it this way. Compassion comforts, but it doesn't make you comfortable. It has to be paired with a challenge that whatever should not be should be addressed. 
I love you enough to not stay silent. I love you enough to not pretend that there's not an issue here. So we're going to challenge it together. Whether it's a spiritual reality that has to change, or maybe it's a reality in your mind filled with depression and anxiety, say, come on, we're going to challenge this thing together. We're going to pray together. We're going to read together. We're going to call together. We're going to have crew together because we're going to challenge this thing together. That's what compassion does. Whether it's in your body and you say, no, we're going to pray together. We're going to believe together. But please hear me, please hear me. Compassion, because I think a lot of times we think it's just comfort with no opinion, you know, but that's not true. There's some things that you have to stand and you have to talk about. Lazarus, it's time for change. It's time for change. And if you, if you miss this part of compassion, you'll end up just creating a, a codependent relationship where whatever someone does, you just say, that's good, I love you, I'm for you, that's good. No, 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 you, <laughs> what kills codependency? It's not just comfort, it's challenge. You say, no, no, we're gonna, we're gonna face this thing head on. We're gonna name it, we're gonna talk about it, and we're gonna walk our way out of this grave together. Amen? Amen. Amen. And the last and final thing is compassion corrects. Jesus says this, when Lazarus comes out of the, out of the tomb, Jesus says, unwrap him, unbind him, and let him go. Unbind him and let him go. Compassion corrects, which is to say, it will lead you through the process of freedom. Because God loves you, the Bible says, he disciplines you. Whom he loves, he reproves. Just like a father uh, disciplines the son he delights. I discipline my son not because I hate him, but because I love him. And I want to say, don't go in that direction. That will bind you up. Correction unwraps you. It unwraps you from shame. It unwraps you from bondage. It unwraps you from sin. And, and God loves you enough to bring some correction. And, and you have to be open to that com- correction. You know, because I think sometimes even people think, well, God's correcting me, therefore he's against me, I, and I screwed up, and now he hates me. That's not how God works. It's his compassion that says, now, don't, don't do that. Don't go there. Don't act like that. Begin to change this because he's leading you into freedom. He's unwrapping you. And, and you can do this to those around you. I love you enough to help you. Hey, you're missing the mark there. Or that reaction was not like you. Or, or hey, this habit, let's work on this because there's a better way. Do you remember when the Bible says they pulled Aquilus and Priscilla aside and they showed them a better way? That's correction out of compassion. Out of compassion. You know, I think, I, think, um, I think the enemy would want to come and try and say, you know, oh, no, no, don't say anything because you're not supposed to have an opinion. That's not true. That's not true. It's how you say it. Truth in love. Here's the three compassions of action. They comfort, they challenge, and they correct. Compassion was a primary motivator of our Lord. I pray it's found in our hearts, in our lives, and in this church. That we don't grow cold but we have a great harvest that comes from our hearts and our lives. Amen? Amen. Amen. We just bow your heads, close your eyes. I want to ask you right now, I want to challenge you to ask the Lord to highlight first his compassion, his great love towards you. Then ask him to show you areas where you've lacked compassion. Maybe it's towards yourself. Maybe it's towards your spouse, toward a member in the church, a leader, Maybe it's towards your your son or your daughter. 
And maybe you've justified it by saying, well, I'm right. But there's something even being even greater than being correct. It's being Christ-like. And maybe God wants to show you the area. He says, hey, I want you to make this thing right. I want you to grow in this area. And then ask the Lord to change that area of your life and change you to become more like Him. Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon. Thank you.